This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama, with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947, to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed to free you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of Escape and Suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape! Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a murderous conflict of greed and passion aboard a coastwise tramp steamer headed for Central America as John and Gwen Bagney tell it in their exciting tale, Maraca. <laughs> I am standing in the little patio of a cantina near Maracas. The air is heavy with the scent of tropical pines, tequila, and gunpowder. There's broken glass everywhere, and the most appalling silence. Captain Kelso is standing here with me. So is Estelle. And General Topaz and his men, their swarthy faces serious, completely erasing their earlier gaiety. The party is over. We're all waiting for General Topaz to give the order. And then... But maybe I'd better start at the beginning. I know now I should never have taken the berth as mate on the Bruno... She's a coastwise tramp out of San Diego, but at the time I figured working under that loudmouthed, sadistic, slave-driving Kelso was better than the seaman's mission. They were carrying a cargo for Santa Gardo and two passengers. From the beginning, the voyage spelled trouble. For one thing, we weren't long out of Dago when we ran into the blow. I wasn't too concerned about it, but I went to notify the old man purely as a matter of routine. I found him sprawled across his bunk, his mouth open, snoring. There were a couple of empties on the floor and another in the basin. Captain Kelso. 
Hey, Skipper. Hey, Skipper. Um, Storm, we're running into weather. So, something wrong? No, sir, I just thought you'd like to know. Good. Now I know. Get back to the bridge. But suppose I have to change course, sir. Uh, haven't you been in a blow before? Maybe I should have checked your papers before I signed you on. You are a sailor, aren't you? Yes, sir. I've been to sea a couple of times. Well, get out of here and quit beefing it. And don't bother me again. I got a headache. You should have. What's that, Mr. Doyle? Nothing, sir. Nothing. Back in the wheelhouse, I watched the well deck below disappear completely again and again beneath the angry white water. And then, if I didn't have enough on my mind, it was the passenger, George Miley. I hate passengers. Yeah. They don't belong on freighters, always underfoot, always asking fool questions. And Miling was no exception. But what was worse, he was also the shipper of all that cargo in number two hold. Farm equipment from Miling and Gavin, Los Angeles. Mr. Doyle. So we had orders to be polite to him. Mr. Doyle. You shouldn't be running around the ship in this kind of weather, Mr. Miling. You'll get yourself hurt. I want to see the captain. He's not here, sir. Well, where is he? He's in his quarters asleep, sir. Asleep in a storm like this? Tell the captain I want to see him. I can't do that, Mr. Miling. I'm a personal friend of Captain Kelso's. He'll see me. Sorry, but he left strict orders not to be disturbed for anything. But the sea is wild. It'll bash my cargo to bits. Your cargo is all right, sir. Now, why don't you just go to your stateroom and relax, huh? Young man, when I want to discuss my business with a mate, I'll call you. When I want to talk to the captain, I mean exactly that. Now, get in. If he's asleep, wake him. Wake him nuts. I'd rather kick a cobra out of his bed. Go wake him yourself. I will. I shall also report you for your insolence. Yeah, do that. What did he think? Somebody was going to steal his precious cargo? He was on the dock when we loaded it. He was in the hold when we stowed it and on the deck when we battened the hatches. He was so afraid we'd contaminate it. Why didn't he send it air express? And I was still burning about it when the second came to relieve me. Went down to the galley to have a cup of coffee. Yanked the spigot of the coffee urn so hard that hot coffee splashed in and out of the cup and all over my pants. Oh! <laughs> I spun around so mad I saw red. Yeah, I saw red, all right. A shining red page boy bob. And underneath it, a mocking face. And about 110 well-distributed pounds. There were only two passengers on board, so that made her Mrs. Miley. May I have a cup of that? What? What? Coffee. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Do I surprise you that much? I, no, no. As a matter of fact, I just thought that... Yes, I know. Everybody thinks that. If they meet George first. And if they meet you first? Then I warn them about George. Oh? Was he very unpleasant? Well, he got a rise out of me, if that's what you mean. Yes, he does that to people. What did he want you to do? Stop the storm? You know him better than I do. I don't think you like me. I'm sorry. I, I've got something else on my mind. Oh, don't be so serious. I was only kidding you. So? So? It's going to be a long trip. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mrs. Miling. I've got to get back to the bridge. Everybody calls me Estelle. What do they call you? They call me Doyle, Mr. Doyle. Excuse me. Oh, Mr. Doyle. Yes. I hope I haven't rushed you. 
passengers. You see what I mean? They get in your hair one way or another. Only one day out, and already she was bored. Already she was looking for a way to pass the time and somebody to pass it with. Well, you can ignore the passengers, but the cargo, that's the lifeblood of shipping. So as soon as the storm quieted down, I went below to make sure it was all well secured. Number three hold filled with canned goods was okay. So was number four, which carried a cargo of radios. Then I went into number two to see how Miling's farm implements were faring. And immediately, I was glad I had. One end of a crate had charred loose, and wouldn't do for Miling to find that. I brought my flashlight closer to check for possible damage, and that's when I saw them. Highly polished stocks of a half dozen rifles. <laughs> farm equipment, huh? I ripped open a few more crates. Yeah, they were all the same. Rifles. No wonder George Miling was so concerned with his cargo. Captain Kelso. I told you to keep out of here. You know what we're carrying in number two hold? Sure, cargo, farming equipment. Well, the only digging it'll be doing is for graves. What do you mean? The crates of rifles Miling's transporting. What are you doing in number two hall? Listen, Kelso, I signed on this ship as mate, but when it comes to carrying contraband, that's something else. The cargo's listed on the bill of lighting as farm equipment. As far as I'm concerned, that's what it is. Understand, Mr. Doyle? Yeah, I understand. What's your cut? What are you talking about? Uh, Kelso, you're just not surprised enough. How much are Miling and Gavin paying you? If you got something definite on your mind, spring it. All right, I will. I want my share. Why, you... And if I don't get it, I might be unhappy. I might talk to the wrong people. Like, say, port officials. Why, you punk. Who do you think you are? Get out of here. Get out before... Get straight, Kelso. If I'm going to help carry trouble, I'm going to get paid for it. And you can tell that to that jerk Miling. Why don't you tell me yourself? Uh, all right, Miling, so you hurt me. Uh, it wasn't my fault. He was snooping around the hole, Mr. Marling. I didn't know anything about it. Naturally, you didn't. You were asleep. Drunk. He's a meddling fool. He had no Don't right. Don't upset yourself, Captain. Huh? There's enough profit in my cargo for all of us. No reason why we can't let the man share with us, now is there? You're making a mistake. Why don't you let me handle him? You had that opportunity, Captain. We'll do it my way now. And what's my share your way? We'll talk about that. I want a third. A third? Oh, you are greedy. <laughs> no, I'm afraid we can't let you have that much. Why not? There are already three of us in the deal. My partner Gavin in Los Angeles, myself, and the uh, good captain here. All right, then I'll settle for a fourth. How about, shall we say, uh, $3,000? Oh, you're really off your rocker. That hold is loaded with those crates. You better take it, Mr. Doyle. Your threat about informing the port officials won't do much good unless you get to port. <laughs> See? Afraid you're not in a very good position to bargain. I'd say I was. Because you see, Myling, you either give me a fourth or every man in the crew will know what we're carrying before night. You know what happens then? You got a big split on your hands. Everybody shares. You're a very smart man. Well, Myling, is it a deal? It's a deal. In just a moment, we will return you to Escape. There's a fellow who makes a nice little thing singing popular songs, a fellow named Crosby, Bing Crosby. 
Then comes another fellow named the Frank Fay and begins to analyze the words to the songs this man Crosby has been singing. Is it justice? Well, who knows? But it's one of the funniest sessions on the air, if you heard their broadcast last month. Frank Fay will pay Bing another visit tomorrow night on Bing's regular Wednesday night CBS show. Bing Crosby, Groucho Marx, Burns and Allen, Dr. Christian. They're all Wednesday night stars on most of these same CBS stations. And now we return you to Escape and the second act of Maracas. The first day of the voyage of the Bruno was drawing to a close. Not 12 hours ago, I'd shipped out of San Diego with exactly a dollar and 62 cents and a Canadian dime to my name. And now, the potential. The jackpot potential. Yeah, the night was clear and dark as I came off watch. There was no moon. The storm had blown itself out to the southwest, and now only a light wind across our port beam marked its passing. Yeah... It was the kind of a night I always liked at sea. Quiet and dark. But this night I would have felt a lot happier if there'd been a moon. There were too many dark places where a man could be ambushed on a ship, and the sea is a handy repository for unwanted ballast, including the human variety. So I moved warily, conscious of every sound around me. Mr. Doyle! I almost jumped out of my jacket when I heard him. Mr. Doyle! What? Where are you? Up here on the boat deck. May I see you a moment? All right. Sure. I went up the steps, one hand on the railing, one hand on the pocket that held my gun. And I stopped. Took a bearing and squinted in the darkness. I could just make him out miling, standing near number three lifeboat. Over here, Mr. Doyle. Uh, yeah, sure. What's on your mind? I want to talk to you. Yeah, I gathered that. It's uh, about our partnership. What about it? <laughs> I like you, Mr. Doyle. I think you're a fine addition to our little enterprise. But uh, there's a little problem. Ah, the fine print, the hidden clause in the contract. Huh? Oh, it's nothing that can't be worked out. I'm afraid I was a little hasty, spoken advisedly in the captain's quarters. Oh, while my partner, Tom Gavin, is a very reasonable man, I feel sure he would never endorse a four-way split. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of overhead to a proposition like this. It isn't all clear profit. Get to the point, will you? Isn't it obvious? We have one too many partners. One has to be liquidated. Which one? That's a decision I'll leave up to you. Captain... Kelso wouldn't hesitate to do it to you if I gave him the chance. That's a charming idea, but no thanks. I'll run your guns, but you handle your own liquidation. Then I'm afraid you leave me no alternative, Mr. Doyle. What? Keep your hands up and be good enough to move back. Hey, now, wait a minute. Get over there between the lifeboats. I hadn't even seen him reach for a gun, yet there it was, pointing into the pit of my stomach as he forced me backwards between the lifeboats where there's no railing. If only I could get to my gun, I'd have a shooting chance. I didn't know what the sound was, but it startled Merling just enough for me to pull my gun and hit the deck. His bullet went mild, mine found its mark. But he'd made the choice for me. Murder or be murdered. And I'd have to explain it. I wondered what I would tell them, but nobody saw it. Maybe nobody even heard it. Maybe I could just keep my mouth shut. Maybe the wind had carried the sound away. 
I moved quickly across the boat deck and stumbled over a davit crank handle. This must have been the cause of the sound that startled Marling. This was the thing that had saved my life. I stooped down to pick it up and became conscious of something else. A foot. A foot in a spiked-heeled sandal. Mrs. Marling. She stared at me without expression. I didn't know how long she'd stood there in the shadow of the ventilator. I tried to bumble out some kind of an explanation of how it had happened, how it wasn't my fault. I didn't know how much she'd seen, but I stopped abruptly when I heard him coming up the ladder, bellowing like a bull. Who's up there? What's that shooting about? Huh? Oh, it's you, Doyle. What are you... Miss Marlin, what are you doing up here? Where's Mr. Marlin? What happened? George had an accident. He fell overboard. What? He was drunk. He didn't know what he was doing. He would have killed me if Mr. Doyle hadn't happened along and interfered. Yeah, but I heard shots. That was George. When he lost his footing, his gun went off. Twice? Yes, twice. I suppose you'll have to make some kind of a record of this in your logbook. Yeah. I'd better lower a lifeboat and look for him. Oh, it wouldn't do any good, Captain. George can't swim. <laughs> I watched Kelso walk away. I knew he didn't believe any of it. The minute he was out of earshot, I turned to her. What did you lie for? Why didn't you tell the truth the way it happened? What do you care? You're in the clear. I don't like the way you did it. Well, it's done, so forget it. You ought to be grateful to me. What for? I saved your life. How do you think that thing got on the deck, that handle? You mean that That's you... right, I threw it. George would have killed you if I hadn't. Hey, wait a minute. That means that you wanted him dead. Earlier tonight in the galley, I thought you were just passing the time with me. I thought that you... You thought what? Let's just say I did you a favor and you did me a favor. Now we're even. The bereaved little widow. She made that sea scum Kelso look like a choir boy. I don't know what she had in her vicious mind, but it wouldn't be good. Not that it made any difference to me. I had only one interest, one interest only, my share of the loot. Now that Marling was dead, the split should be bigger. And then I remembered. I'd done the stupid thing. I'd ripped open quite a number of those crates in my hurried inspection of the cargo. And I hadn't crated them up again. Those shiny rifle butts were visible. We couldn't risk port officials seeing them. I hurried into number two hold and was busy nailing up the cases when Kelso came down. Chickens? Just protecting my investment. You've gotten around an awful lot tonight, Joel. I'm an active partner. Yeah? Well, if you want to stay that way, you'll take orders from me. Marling's gone. It's every man for himself now. I don't like you, Joel. That's mutual. That was some cock and bull story you and her cooked up. You heard her tell it? I've known Marling for years. I know he never touched a drop of liquor. Talk to her about it. That's the trouble. I can't prove a thing. But you watch your step, Doyle. Don't you get any idea you can cut me out like you got cut him out? Yeah, well, I'm going to watch you too, Kelso. I'm going to watch you, you close. You can quit fighting over it, boys. There isn't going to be any money to split. What? The cargo's already been paid for. Tom Gavin collected for it in Los Angeles before this ship ever sailed. Marling told me it would be paid for at the end of the run. Marling promised George me. promised a lot of things. And George isn't here. You never intended for him to reach the end of the run. Is that it, Mrs. Marling? Oh, 
Oh, smart. You and Gavin had a cute little thing cooked up between you, didn't you? And I stepped in and washed your dirty linen. You haven't anything to squawk about. You're alive, aren't you? And neither have you, Captain. You'll get paid for the freight. Freight? For that measly amount, I took a chance on losing my license and my ship. Freight! I ought to... Keep away from me! All right, leave her alone. I said shut up. If she thinks she's going to get away with it... Shut up! Now listen. You hear that? Listen, it's ticking. Only two things tick. A clock and a time bomb. Here we've been shouting, screaming at each other as the minutes ticked away. And now we wildly fanned out with flashlights trying to track down the source of the sound. Fighting time. Minutes. Maybe seconds. I was the one who had found it. Planted in one of the cases of rifles I'd opened. Enough TNT to blow the whole ship apart and us with it. We held our breath white and tense as I pulled the clock mechanism away from the detonator. Dismantling the bomb. And there was only one person who could have done it. The one who insured the cargo, the shipper. Myling had been on board, so it had been Gavin. How do you feel about your Mr. Gavin now, Mrs. Myling? How do you like being a sucker along with the rest of the boys? You're right. I'm the biggest sucker of all. No wonder Tom was so sure George would never come back. And do you know how he roped me in? With the oldest cliche in the world. He was going to marry me when I came back in my widow's weed. Never mind the broken blossoms. What about us? We're carrying contraband and all the risk that goes with it and not a nickel for any of us. If you two have finished feeling sorry for yourselves, old man Kelso would like the floor. There's no law of gravity that says this cargo has to go to Santa Gordo, is there? You've got an idea? Sure, I got an idea. But I'm boss. You understand, Doyle? If you've got an idea. Okay, Mrs. Marling. All I want is a chance to see Tom Gavin squirm. You'll get it, I promise you. You gotta be enterprising in this business, Doyle. There's more than one way to turn a buck. And there's more than one side to a revolution. Like Kelso said, no reason why our cargo should go on to Santa Gordo. There were others who wanted and needed rifles. The guerrillas. And what was more important, they had plenty of money. Gold. And Kelso knew a man in Maracas who knew a man who could put us in touch with the guerrilla chief. So we altered the course. Ten days later, we steamed through the Gulf of Teresa and entered the obscure little Bay of Maracas. Estelle, we were partners now. I dropped the Mrs. Marling. Kelso and I, three ill-assorted people, went ashore to make the rendezvous. We walked up a steep, winding hill to a little cantina. And just as Kelso had promised, his friend's friend had made the contact. All we had to do was wait. It was a hot night, so we sat in the picturesque little patio. And then we heard them. First, it sounded like a roar of thunder from over the horizon. And then it took form. First, a boisterous cloud, and then distinct shapes. Horsemen, a dozen or so, shooting and whooping as they galloped up. A gang of renegades, unshaven, sweat-stained, each fiercer looking than the other. All wearing cross-cartridge belts, sombreros, and sporting firearms of assorted caliber and make. 
Yo, el Capitán Coulson. I am Topaz, el General Topaz. Well, the shipments are ready, General. I'll have it unloaded. There is no hurry. When the time come, my men will take it off. In the meantime, we have come long way. The hills, they are dry. And so are my men. We, we have a drink now. But I thought maybe we'd better... Oh, you brought lovely lady. <laughs> Topaz is happy. And when Topaz is happy, he must have drink. Amadeo, tequila, cerveza for the men and for my friends. Pronto. Vamos a gozar una voz. I've never seen so much liquor consumed so fast. Tequila and cerveza, a violent combination. And it had a wild effect on them. The more they drank, the more uncontrolled they became. Shouting and shooting glasses and coffee at the cobblestone parapet. We began to have an uneasy feeling. We wanted to conclude our business quickly, unload the rifles, get paid, and get out. Even Kelso began to be uneasy. Look, General, fun is fun, but we can't hang around here all night. Plenty time, my friend, plenty time. More tequila. Diego, play for us. Senorita, is this not nice? Uh, you, you are lucky. Music, moonlight, and topaz. Please. General, Captain Kelso is right. You should send for the cargo. You think so, eh? All right, all right. Mario, Chalo. Get the men. Unload the rifles. You, you are happy now, senorita? This can settle indeed. We, we have drink, no? No, I... Oh, you, you think topaz drink too much, eh? Amadeo, hold the bottle up. Uh, uh, I, I must be drunk. I hit the bottle, not the cork. He was a good enough shot to make my blood run cold. All of them were. The more they drank, the better their aim. General Topaz was having a riot of cannon of 44 shooting gourds and it was a relief when the cases of rifles began to pile up. And suddenly, the general's mood changed. He was bored with his marksmanship. Bring me one. I want to see how good the gringo's guns are. One of his men ripped open a crate. General Topaz grabbed a rifle, held it in his hands, inspected it, and threw it violently at me. Watch this. This joke? You make fun with Topaz? Open them all! His men literally tore the tops off dozens of crates with their fingers. And I told Cold in the pit of my stomach. I hoped it had been a mistake, but it wasn't. It was a grim joke. For Gavin hadn't meant that cargo to go through, so he hadn't wasted real rifles on it. He'd sent case after case of dummy cargo. Oh, they were rifles, all right. Good enough to fool me down in the hold. If only I'd taken one out, examined it, I might have discovered in time that they were phony guns that would never fire a shell. Cheap hot metal imitations with... Highly polished pine stocks. Great stuff for kids under a Christmas tree. But not quite good enough for General Topaz. General Topaz is important, man. I have important war. And for this, you pay. Mario, Diego, Nino, Charo, Amadeo, Cano. Un gran tiroteo para estos canallas.
Stewart, Dawn, and we three, Estelle, Kelso, and I, are standing here in the patio. General Topaz and his guerrillas are drunk, but not dead drunk. Rather, deadly drunk. Ten of them. The firing squad lined up facing the three of us. Their guns aimed straight at us. And on their dull faces, murder. The general, with his flamboyant sense of drama, raises his gun just as the first rays of the sun streak through. He has a sense of the drama, General Topaz, but no sense of humor. If it weren't so final, it might be funny. A double, double cross. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Maracas by John and Gwen Bagney. Featured in the cast were Bill Conrad as Doyle, Ted DeCorsia as Captain Kelso, Joan Banks as Estelle, Paul Fries as George Myerling, and Juano Hernandez as General Topaz. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week. You were on a schooner in the South Seas, and dead ahead lies the island of Falota and the most desperate man of this lawless region. You have never seen him, but you have sworn to kill him. Next week, we escape with an exciting tale of the strangest bargain ever made, as George F. Watts tells it in his famous story, Sunk. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. Festive music for a festive holiday. One full hour of it. That's the treat in store for you when you tune in the Thanksgiving Day Festival over these same CBS stations. The Coraliers and the Symphonette combine talents for this great show. Plus Leonid Hambro, pianist, Oscar Shumsky, violinist, Bambi Lynn, young Broadway star, and many other favorites. Remember 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thanksgiving Day for the whole family, the Thanksgiving Day Festival over the entire CBS network. Now stay tuned for Hit the Jackpot, which follows immediately on most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. 10 p.m. D-U-L-O-B-A, Bulletin Watch Time. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. 
tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to the island of Pelota in the South Seas and an exciting tale of the strangest bargain ever made as we bring you Letter from Jason, adapted from George F. Wirt's famous story, Sunk. No, John. My mind's made up, and all your eloquence won't change it. You'll understand why when you hear this letter I got today. A letter from Jason. Yes, at last. Listen to this, John. Dearest Ellen, he writes, after the terrible things I did and said to you that last night, there seemed to me to be only one way out. I had failed you as a husband, I had failed the baby as a father. There wasn't anything I hadn't failed at, excepting booze. I was a great success in a saloon, but this is no news to you. You might, however, be interested in what happened after I walked out on you that night. Well, actually, I don't remember much of the night, but the next morning when I woke up in a rooming house south of the slot, I remembered enough. I knew I couldn't go back, and I didn't see any point of going on. But I even failed as a suicide. Somebody smelled gas and called the police. When I came to in the receiving hospital, Uncle Jeffrey was there. Well, Jason, you sunk pretty low. Oh, go away and leave me alone. You must have been drunk to find the courage to try suicide. I don't ever really get drunk anymore. I just drink. That's scarcely news. What about your wife and child? You're suddenly very solicitous. No, I never approved of your marriage, but you're still my brother's son. Why did you try to do this? Money. A couple of other things, but money principally. Your father left you plenty of money, too much for your own good. Well, it's gone. Of course it's gone. I'm over my years in debt. How much do you owe? More than I could pay back in a year, and some of them won't wait. There's a bookie on Sacramento Street. How much? More than $3,000. Why didn't you come to me for it? Would you have given it to me? You know I wouldn't. Why, you, you're getting a big kick out of this, aren't you, Uncle? Get out. Get out. Jason, you misunderstand me. I didn't come here for fun. I came on business. Fun? Yes, I came to offer you a job. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's a great big laugh. No, no, I'm serious. On the way over here, I did a lot of thinking. Since you're ready to die anyway, perhaps I can arrange it in a way to provide for your wife and child. Yes, and pay your debts. Oh. You know where I spent my youth? Yes. Poaching pearls in the South Seas with my father. Really, Jason? That's an ungrateful conclusion and unkind to the memory of your father. We were traders, honest traders. But there were others not so honest. There were killers down there in those days... There's one in particular who crossed me several times and is still alive. His name is Jake Finch. 
What the devil are you talking about? A business deal, Jason. I want Jake Finch killed. Since your life doesn't mean anything to you, you might as well take the job. Me? Kill a man? That's right. This morning, you tried to kill yourself for nothing. I'm offering you a chance to kill and be paid for it. How much? Your debts. And $25,000 to your wife after Finch is dead. That's a lot of money. It's worth it to me to see Finch dead. Well? And after I've killed him, what then? Ellen is provided for. And me? Well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Where is this man? He lives on the island of Pelota, three weeks' sail from Tahiti. <laughs> How romantic. Not at all. He's a dangerous, treacherous killer, and you're going to have to meet him face to face. He's lived too long to be caught off guard. What makes you think I'll have the guts to kill him? I'll be along to see that you do. What? Yes, and to see that my name is not connected with the matter. If you kill him, it will be in self-defense. So I've sunk pretty low, have I, uncle? What about you? That's neither here nor there. Do you want the job? No. But I'll take it for Ellen's sake. Yes, John, I know it sounds incredible, but don't be so hasty in your judgment. The letter from Jason goes on. I suppose if I hadn't been foggy with booze and gas fumes, I would never have accepted such a dreadful proposition, even though it meant security for you. But once I agreed, Uncle Jeffrey wasted no time. He paid my debt and sent you that $1,000 check as an advance on my murder fee. And in less than 24 hours, we were slipping through the Golden Gate bound for Tahiti. It wasn't any different aboard ship. They have bars, too, and wonderful brandy, French cognac. I was really enjoying life, a cruise to the South Seas, all expenses paid. And then, the fourth day out, Uncle Jeffrey came into my cabin as I was breakfasting on a brandy milk pot. Good morning, Uncle. Everything ship-shape, topside? Jason, it's time we got down to business. Oh, sure, sure. Anything you say. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure, sure. Go ahead, Uncle. Mm. Here. You better get used to the feel of this. A gun? Is it, uh... Is it, uh, loaded? Naturally. Pick it up. It's heavy. Yes, it's a forty-five. Tear a hole in a man the size of a silver dollar. Never held a gun in my hand before. Aim it. There, at your reflection in the mirror. What's the matter, Jason? Your hand's shaking. You're perspiring. I can't. I, I, I can't. You must. Remember, if you want your wife to get that money, you'll have to kill Jake Finch, not just try to kill him. I, uh... I need a drink. I, I need a drink bad. Poor mixed-up Jason. That was his solution for every problem, his answer to every challenge. I need a drink. He goes on to say, We arrived in Papieti, in Tahiti, on a Wednesday afternoon, but Uncle Jeffrey was in a hurry. He had chartered an island schooner, the Lorelei, and she was to sail at dawn the next morning for Palota and Jake Finch. 
But at least I would have one evening ashore, and I intended to have it alone. Well, uh, see you later, Uncle Jeffrey. Where are you going? Sightseeing, one enchanted evening, that sort of thing. Now, you wait till I get this luggage transferred to the schooner, and I'll go with you. What's the matter? You afraid I'm going to get drunk? I know you are. That's where you're wrong. Got to stop sometime. I made up my mind I quit when we got to Tahiti, so I've quit. I don't believe you. You're drunk right now. That's what you think. I'm not drunk, Uncle Jeffrey. Oh. I'm sick. I'm sick of the sight of you. We still have a long way to go together. I know. Let's understand each other right now. I hate your guts. It's perfectly clear that you hate mine. Uh, I made a bargain with you. I'll go through with it, for Ellen's sake. What for her, I'd use that gun on you instead of Jake Finch. Good. I'm glad that we understand each other so clearly. I'll see you later. Be aboard the Lorelei at midnight. Don't worry, I'll be there. I'm sure you will, Jason. Poppy 80, the letter goes on, is not the South Sea paradise we dream of back home. Unpaved streets, miserable natives, provincial French colonists, but plenty of bars. I avoided them. I headed for the big hotel and a table on the terrace. Take away the palm trees and the French accent, and it was about as exotic as the commercial house in Sioux City. Monsieur désire quelque chose à boire? Oh, what did you say? Oh, je m'excuse. Would monsieur like something to drink? An aperitif, perhaps? Cézano? Dubonnet? Oh, no, 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 thank you. Just, uh, just tea. Garçon? Uh, oui, monsieur. My check, please. Tout de suite, monsieur. You know, that tea, it, that's pretty vile stuff. Was there something wrong, monsieur? It is the very best oolong. Oh, no, no I, I guess it was all right for uh, tea. Uh, oui, monsieur. <laughs> voilà, monsieur. Here you are. I keep the change. Oh, merci beaucoup. Oh, say, tell me, what's a good place for dinner? Oh, ici, monsieur. The hotel has the best cuisine in papillete. But it's a, it's a little quiet, don't you think? Uh, Peut-être. Then I should commend Monsieur to chez Tante Marguerite, or the Southern Cross. At the Southern Cross, there are the girls. Ah. Oh. Then I'll go to Marguerite's. And with the dinner, Monsieur desires to drink? Water. Water? Yeah, just, just water. But if Monsieur will permit, uh, we have a proverb in my native Normandy. Un repas sans vin est comme un jour sans soleil. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't understand French that well. A meal without wine is like a day without sun. Oh. oh, and surely with the cuisine of Tante Marguerite, one must not drink just water. Besides, the water in Papillette is not safe. I myself have lived here more than 20 years, and never have I tasted the Papillette water. Oh, no, no, no. I would recommend wine, monsieur. I urge it. With the langouste, a dry sauterne, monsieur. Oh, well. Well, very well. A, a small bottle, then. Monsieur has eaten well? Oh, yes. Thank you. And now, perhaps, a liqueur? No, no. I, I really oh, don't... Oh, permit me to offer it, monsieur. As you say, on the house. <laughs> well, no, that isn't Point the... Uh... chartreuse, cognac... Uh, cognac. 
Oh, it's an excellent dinner, madame. An excellent liqueur, and the world begins to look all right again. Of course it does, monsieur. Of course it does. Uh, oh, and now, madame, tell me. Uh, you know of a place here in Papier they called uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, Southern Cross? <laughs> and who does not, monsieur? <laughs> tell me how to get there, will you? You like maybe something, huh? Oh, yeah, another cognac. Oh, yes, sir. You like cognac maybe, so uh, help yourself. Oh, sure, I like it. That's the best thing the French do, make cognac. Oh, look out. You're spilling it. I'm trying not to. Can't you see? I'm trying to hold it steady. Oh, oh you're not so steady yourself. <laughs> Why can't I hold it steady? You know, it's like the gun. I can't hold the gun steady either. How can I shoot straight if I don't hold it steady? Uh, all the same. Whiskey, gun. You can't go steady with both. You go steady with me. Hmm? Oh. <laughs> well, hello, baby. You are alone? Yeah, I'm alone. It is not good to be alone too much. No, I don't mind. You like me to keep you company? I don't mind. You have cigarettes for me? <laughs> yeah, hey, sure, mate, what's the big idea of knowing this lady? I know it. What do you mean, this little... Watch your language. Now, look, here, I'm sitting here minding my own business. Well, now you're minding mine, now, Scram. Well, I got as much right Are you as... looking for trouble? Well, no. But it seems to me you are. Hey, you little jerk. <laughs> okay, boys, carry him out. Nice work, sister. Here's your hundred francs. Thank you, Captain Steve. You want me to make change? Uh, not now. Some other time. I got work to do now. I know, John, it's the same old pattern, how well I know it. The promises and the failures. Anything could start him slipping, a glass of wine, the brandy sauce on the mince pie. Yes, or the sniff of the cork, if you like. But listen to Jason's letter. He goes on. The next thing I knew, I was in a narrow bed in a creaking, rocking room, and I didn't feel well, darling, not well at all. I had the world's worst hangover. Oh. Uh. Oh. Good morning, Jason. Oh. oh, Uncle Jeffrey, where am I? Board the Lorelei. Five hours out of Pepe Oh. Bad night? Mm, yeah, I guess so. Looks like you were in a fight. I was. I don't remember anything afterward. How'd I get on board? You were delivered at my instruction. What do you mean? My captain brought you aboard. I want you to meet him. Captain? Yes, Mr. Sheldon? Come in. I want you to meet my nephew, Jason Torrance. How do you do, sir? Why, you... We've already met Uncle. This is the man who knocked me out. I know, according to my instructions. That'll be all, Captain. Yes, sir. Well, you're a... Save your breath, you're Jason. dirtiest... Your head will only ache more if you get excited. I'm not trying to hide anything from you. Captain Steve is a tough guy, but not nearly as tough. Not half as quick or strong or hard to kill as Jake Finch. And he tells me you never even hit back. Object lesson, huh? That's right. You've already cost me a lot of money, and I want my money's worth. You're no good to me, drunk, or to yourself. Or to your wife and child. 
Suppose you'd have gotten in a real brawl in that saloon last night. Well, you could have been killed. And where would your wife and kid be? <laughs> but believe me, I won't pay off until you kill Jake Finch. I do believe you. I believe you let Ellen and the kids starve before you'd help them. I would, Jason. You can be sure of that. Unless you kill Jake Finch. All right, Uncle. I'm on the wagon from now on. Oh, it's easy to say. <laughs> when you're still going on last night's booze. I mean it. I've taken my last drink. I wonder, Jason. I wonder. After he had left the cabin with that sneer on his face, Jason writes, I lay there hopeless and nearly helpless. For I knew now if I was to be helped at all, I would have to help myself. So I pulled my aching frame out of the bunk and head throbbing and tongue thick, I climbed up onto the deck and faced the captain. Well, Mr. Torrance, you had a nice long nap, huh? Yeah, thanks to you. You uh, got any work for me? Work? Yeah. You know, something something to do. I, I want to get busy. Well, now, there's always work aboard a sailing vessel. Know how to holy stone a deck? <laughs> Does it take a college degree? <laughs> no. But you'll need something else. Muscles and guts. Who said it gets easier day by day, Jason writes. It didn't for me. I was stiff and sore from using muscles that had never been used before. And the only thing I wanted was a drink, just one drink to ease the pain. But I knew I'd never stop with one. It got tighter and tighter inside me and there had to be a breaking point. And then on the 10th day out, the captain sent me up to secure a block on the mainmast. The sea was kicking up a little, and when I was 15 feet above the deck, the schooner lurched suddenly. I lost my grip and fell. I grabbed at the shroud, and it bit into the skin of my palms, and I hit the deck and lay there for a moment, shaking with fear, knowing that this was the end of my fight. Then I got to my feet, ran down to the galley, and opened the cabinet where I knew the captain kept his brandy. Having a little nip, Jason? Yes! I'm through. With your rotten bargain, your Jake Finch and your... Through with Ellen and the baby. Through with keeping your word. Back where you started from. A gas-filled room trying to commit suicide. Well, go ahead. What are you waiting for? You've got the bottle in your hand. Go ahead. Take your drink. Shut up. What are you waiting for, Jason? Shut up. Shut up. Just remember, Jason, one drink will finish you. Jake Finch will kill you and Ellen won't get the money. I'm a businessman, Jason. I made a bargain. Don't think I'm going to renege. I didn't want you to marry Ellen in the first place, remember? She won't get a penny from me when you die. Remember that. <laughs> Be careful, Jason. You're trembling so, you might drop the bottle. <laughs> Maybe you do need a drink, Jason. Think it over. It's an easy way out. And I won't embarrass you by staying and watching. Murderer! You dirty murderer! I won't touch it, Rick! I won't touch it! I'll show you! I'll show you! And then suddenly it grew a little easier. Not taking that drink was the turning point, I guess. The crying out inside, the need for liquor, grew slowly quieter. My muscles began to toughen. My whole body began to feel better, more alive, 
From the first time in years, I enjoyed eating. And I was learning to be a pretty good sailor. I began to get a kick out of the neat way the schooner handled, the clean feeling of the sea air, the wonder of just feeling good. And with this change, I slowly began to realize what kind of a bargain I had made. I didn't want to kill anyone. No, not for any reason. Not now, when I felt sure I could start my life over again. You've made a bargain, and you'll stick to it. I'm not the same now. I'm in good health. I'm strong. I can get a job and really take care of Ellen and the baby. You should have thought of that before. Well, I'm thinking about it now. I can't just deliberately go out and kill a man. I'm uh, not, not going to go through with it. All right, we anchor at Polota tomorrow. If you refuse to carry out your end of our bargain, I'll put you off the schooner and leave you there. You won't see a ship for more than six months. And when it does come, you'll have sunk lower than you've ever been. You won't have passage money back to San Francisco. You'll die in Pelota. And Ellen won't see a penny of that $25,000. You'd do that? In a second. But I'll pay you back the money you lent me. I'm not interested in that. I want Finch killed. Believe me, he has it coming to him. I don't care what he's done to you. I'm not going to go through with it. Not only what he's done to me, Jason. I didn't want to tell you before. I never told you how your father died. No, you never did. Jake Finch killed him, Jason. Jake Finch killed your father. Jason's letter continues. So you see, Ellen, what a diabolically clever scoundrel Uncle Jeffrey is. The last straw was that stuff about my father. I don't know whether he's lying or not, but it just might be true. And so this man who is playing God with my life has added the final motive for murder, vengeance. We're approaching the island of Polota now, Ellen, and I have no other course but to find Jake Finch and kill him, or be killed by him. What a crying shame that I couldn't have found myself before this, for I know now what a wonderful life we might have had together. I hope you will find it with someone else, for you deserve better than I ever gave you. We're dropping anchor now, and I must go. Well, there she is, Jason. Polota, one of the loveliest islands in the Pacific. A perfect setting for a murder. Yes, isn't it? Feel up to it? Don't worry about me. Where do I find Finch? Everybody on the island knows him. Anyone can tell you where to find him. Try the traders, or the bar. Good luck. Aren't you coming? Oh, no. <laughs> Remember? I don't want to be connected with Jake Finch's death in any way. It's your affair now, not mine. Yellow all the way through, aren't you, Uncle? Yellow and rich enough to hire thugs and murderers to do your dirty work. I ought to kill you instead of Finch. Ready, Mr. I'm coming, Captain. Kill Finch first, Jason. Then you have my permission to kill me. Good day to you, sir. Good day. Put in for supplies, have you? No, no. Well, we've got everything a trim little schooner like yours would be needing. Uh, look, can you uh, tell me where I can find Jake Finch? Jake Finch? What do you want with him? Well, that's my business. Where is he? I couldn't say exactly. He might be down on the beach this time of day. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, friend. Uh, who, me? Yeah, you. 
Well, I wasn't sure. Ain't been called friend in 20 years. What can I do for you, stranger? I'm looking for Jake Finch. Well, don't look at me. I ain't him. Where can I find him? Look here, mister. If this is your idea of a joke, it ain't funny to me. I I'm sorry. I'm simply looking for Jake Finch. Well, look somewhere else. Look for him in a bar. That's the likeliest place to find Jake Finch. Yes, sir. What'll it be? I got the finest brandy on the island. Four years old, it is. No, thank you. I'm looking for someone, but the place seems to be empty. Oh, who are you looking for? Jake Finch. J Jake Finch? What do you want with him? I've got business with him. Yeah? What kind of business? He inherited a million dollars or something? No. But I want to settle a debt with him. Okay, mister. He's in the back room. This way. There he is. That old bum? Yeah. Sleeping it off. Been there since I closed up last night. Jake Finch? This can't be Jake Finch. Yes, one of them. There's more down on the beach, kicking around town. What are you talking about? Well, there's at least a dozen Jake Finches here on Pelota. A dozen? Hey, look, somebody's been kidding you, mister. Don't you know? Jake Finch is the name we give any rum bum here on Pelota. They spend their last penny here in the bar and sleep it off on the beach. Drink, mister. All the Jake Finches drink themselves to death. Jake Finch. Me. All along, the Jake Finch he wanted to kill was in me. Hey, where are you going? I, uh... I've got an apology to make. You look like you need a drink. How about one for the road, huh? No, thanks. I, uh... I don't drink. There it is, John. That's my letter from Jason. You understand now, don't you, why I'm asking you as my attorney to stop my divorce action immediately. I cabled Jason this morning that I'm waiting for him to come home. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Letter from Jason, adapted by Celie Glester, Merwin Gerard, and Mr. Robeson, from Sunk by George F. Wartz. Featured in the cast were Frank Lovejoy as Jason, Will Gear as Jeff, and Kay Brinker as Ellen. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week... You are lying on a small knoll in the prairie west of the Platte River. In a few moments, dawn will herald the attack of the encircling Apaches. An attack of such fury that for you there can be no escape. Next week, we escape with an exciting tale of the Old West as James Warner Bella tells it in his thrilling story... 
Command. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Lamond. I'd like some information. Why, it's Gracie Allen. Oh, can you tell me who that young man was with the wonderful deep voice? Well, yes, that's uh, Paul Freeze. Well, I'd love to meet him. That'll be easy. Paul, this is Gracie Allen. Gracie, this is Paul Freeze. Hello, Gracie. Or should I call you Mrs. George Burns? Well, uh, yes, you should. You see, I've been Mrs. Burns ever since that day when a certain tall, handsome man came along and pronounced George and me man and wife. I see. Uh, but it's George I've come to talk to you about. You have such a beautiful voice yourself, so I thought if you let him, let him sing on this program, our sponsor will hear him and realize how great he is. Then he let him sing on our program Wednesday nights. Well, Gracie, this is not a musical program. This is escape. Well, George can make your program more popular. When he sings, everybody will be looking for escape. I'm sorry, Gracie. I'll have to turn you down. Oh, well, goodbye, Mr. Freeze. You are a cold man. Goodbye, Gracie. Be sure to listen next week, same time, when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.